0: Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Hi, Sue.
1: Hey, Andrew. How are you?
0: I am good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I am excited to be halfway through this year.
0: Oh my gosh! Is it already? It's beyond halfway through. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I never really noticed like what the halfway through a year was before. I have this calendar now. I cross the months off, and I was like, "Oh, this is the halfway."
0: That would do it. You've got that visual to tell you we are more than halfway through.
1: You know, it's funny, though. Well, I, I probably talked about this before, but living in California, you can't really tell what time mm. of the year it is. And I always joke that I only know based on how long the days are that we're in different seasons. So. Exactly. Right yeah. now
0: we have a lot of light, which is such a, a pleasure. Mm. And I think the middle of the summer is is really upon us and I'm just so glad we're here to 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 talk about today's topic.
1: Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So well the title of the top of the podcast today is Sex Addiction No More. And on our podcast, we've been talking about the misunderstood term of sex addiction, in quotes, as being misused and outdated. And you once told me it was time to create a bigger dialogue around the language of compulsive sexual behavior. So here we are today to discuss this more in depth. Um, So can we tell our listening audience what feels so important to you about this topic?
0: Absolutely. So so our intention for this podcast in general is, is really to destigmatize compulsive sexual behavior if I were to, to whittle it down. And so this particular topic today is very close to my heart. It's, it's partially personal and partially professional. And because I've been in recovery from compulsive sexual behavior for almost 27 years, as well as being a therapist for 30 years you know i i've i've been surrounded by this issue and, and for a long long time and I, I as you know Sue, i've been to many many 12 step meetings what what we sometimes refer to as s meetings because there's so many sexual recovery fellowships that sometimes we just call it s meetings uh. And um, because there's S C A S L A A S A A S A, so it's it's just a shorthand. Right. And and I've seen lots of people, both in my office and in the twelve step rooms, struggling with this particular issue as well. In other words, what what do we call this problem? How do we refer to it? How do we identify with it? And this is my personal approach. So bear with me. But personally. I don't want to tell my brain that I'm a sex addict because the term sex addict implies something pathological and, and it, it doesn't really fall neatly into the disease model of AA, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in other words, it, it reinforces to my brain, to the actual neural pathways in my brain that there's something wrong with me. And and in turn, it, it 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 actually perpetuates the shame of the original behavior, right? Because right. compulsive sexual behavior, by nature, is often shameful. I would say like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it there's shame around the behavior over time, and and I don't want to perpetuate that by somehow calling it a disease or an illness. Now, professionally. I don't want my clients to be doing that either, ideally, mm-hmm. because I, I don't want them to be pathologizing sex or sexual behavior. And and I don't want them to be looking at compulsive sex as a disease, because that's not the language that I, I've grown to believe. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before, Sue, but, but I love the idea of dis-ease mm-hmm. rather than disease. Dis-ease. But does compulsive sexual behavior fit neatly into the medical model that Alcoholics Anonymous set up for us way back when. I don't believe so.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's go back to that addiction piece of it, right? Or the Mm -hmm. compulsivity of it. Uh Um, Do you feel there's a difference between compulsivity and addiction? I do.
0: Um, Compulsivity describes a behavior right it's it's the um it's the part of us that does something over and over and over and is like magnetically drawn to do that behavior Mm -hmm. over and over and over in other words we all have compulsive Mm -hmm. tendencies addiction is a whole larger Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. that that um You know, that that I'm not going to get into in detail, but Hmm. it really is more in the language of disease, illness and pathology. Okay, that that's right. And and there is and there is um, a strong belief. And I I actually fall into this other category that um, that when we're talking about substances or chemical dependencies, that, yes, that does have a medical model, disease model, illness model, um, reality to it. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about things like sex or food or money, gambling, mm-hmm. debting, that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, it's just a different
1: story. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because I, I can understand how they do overlap, but I understand also that, as you're saying, that addiction is a bigger Maybe it takes over more, um, more of your brain or so to speak, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's more to it. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to just harp on this also, but I just want to be clear and understand it in the way you're presenting it. Um, as you say, sex and money and gambling, would, do you think they all just fall under compulsive behaviors and you're still getting some sort of chemical reaction within your brain right? when those things happen, but you're saying it just doesn't affect it in this like disease model that's being presented for addiction. Correct. Okay. I got
0: it. Yeah. And, and, and I want to also just preface this episode by saying that, as much as we know, we really don't know
1: mm-hmm.
0: that that we're at a time in 2021 where we're learning all the time. We're learning about what the brain has to tell us. We're learning about what addictive compulsive tendencies really are about. But we haven't really cracked the code when it comes to understanding how to help folks. So to me, what I'm really um, presenting is that it, they're suffering across the board. Right. I don't care whether we're talking about uh, heroin or whether we're talking about porn. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of broken heartedness, which is really mm. one of the biggest themes of my book. And and yet I don't want to lump sex into the same bucket mm-hmm. as chemical dependency because they're they're different mm-hmm. and. Um, again, there, there's so much more that, that we're learning, but, but what, what I think is most important is that we don't get so um, rigid with the idea that somehow, um, recovery from compulsive sexual behavior is going to fit neatly Mm -hmm. into the model that Alcoholics Anonymous uses. Mm
1: -hmm. I see. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So, okay. Well. You're calling this episode Sex Addiction No More. Um how did you come up with that title?
0: Well, <laughs> as as some of our listeners know, there there is a book many years ago written called Codependency No More. And um I'm kind of playing with those words a little bit because this has been my journey. So I really I really ask you to take what you like and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. But I, I used to say when I was in a twelve-step room, "My name is Andrew and I'm a sex addict." I used to say that, and now that you know we fast forward twenty-seven years, I, I say things like, "My name is Andrew and I'm recovering in this program," or I might say, "My name is Andrew and." I'm recovering from compulsive sexual behavior. So so in other words, um, there's nothing right or wrong about those who choose to identify as a sex addict. I really feel it's an individual choice. But but I want my clients, I want my program friends to, to really make an informed decision, right? To, to really consider the options and decide... What is the message they want to share literally with their brain? Mm -hmm. Because our brains are listening. Right. And so that's the part that I think we know is, do I want to perpetuate this idea that somehow I'm an addict, which I don't use that term anymore, Mm -hmm. or do I want to talk about being a recovering person,
1: a healing person? So have you sensed or noticed anybody hearing your message and and actually making the same changes as as you are as identifying as someone who is recovering?
0: Yes and no. Um I think it's very slow because it's the norm to say, hi, I'm Andrew and I'm an alcoholic, for instance, right? That that's kind of the gold standard at AA you you identify as, you know I'm Sue and I'm an alcoholic. So all the other programs have, have really followed in similar ways. And so some old timers in, in my programs will say things like, um, I'm David and and I'm I'm a recovering sexual compulsive. So they'll they'll stick in that word recovering because they they, I don't know if they um, mm. realize they're doing this, but they're really reminding themselves that they're not still actively in their compulsive ways, that they're actively recovering. And so it's slow. I wouldn't say that it I would say it's definitely the minority of people that I run into. but little by little by little, I think there is a, an understanding and a way of using words and language that's more, in my opinion, more respectful and, and more descriptive of what's really going on rather than by rote saying, I'm Andrew and I'm a sex addict. Does that, does that make sense? Oh,
1: absolutely. No, I, I definitely, I definitely li- like to preach that same message that the more it- You can change the things that you say out loud that are negative um, Mm. and and put yourself Mm -hmm. in, identify with what it is that you actually want to be. And, you know, you are identifying at meetings as someone in recovery or recovering. It's, it it sounds like you said, more optimistic and um, yeah. So talk a little bit about what the who did in uh, 2018
0: uh, yeah the 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 who um, is is a short way of saying the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. And before I go into that, I just wanted to just say once again that that I want to focus on on the recovering part of me rather than the compulsive part of me. Mm-hmm. And um, most of our listeners know this, but the term sex addiction has never, never been accepted as a formal diagnostic description for for inclusion in, in either the diagnostic and statistical manual which is kind of like the bible of, right. of mental health um, issues and disorders or the international classification of disorders which is what the world health organization uses so Many people along the way, many folks who really wanted the term sex addiction used in, in those um, really worldwide respected um, books. Uh, it just never was something that that was agreed upon, that the scientists, the mental health professionals from around the world just didn't feel that it met the criteria for something that they um they wanted to include which is the segue to the world health organization so a few years ago it was either 2018 or 2019 i believe um, they actually decided to include what they call compulsive sexual behavior disorder in their book the international classification of diseases now the world health organization is very much about Pathology and disease, and is an international, um, what's the word, collaboration of various types of mental health professionals and um, and medical professionals in general. So this was an absolute turning point because here, this this big organization, um, highly respected organization. Said that compulsive sexual behavior is going to be included. Now, I'm not completely in agreement with the word disorder, um, but I do see this decision as progress. And and what it does when they do validate something of this nature is it helps us get more treatment, more resources to all of those individuals worldwide who still suffer. So, it's it's a huge um, opportunity to get resources to, to folks who have difficulties out there with compulsive sex. And ultimately, to me, that, that's really what counts, right? Oh, so yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, so, legitimizing this diagnosis, as, as they choose to call it, or to identify this as a, a, a verifiable problem. That, that really requires further research. So it opens doors for grants and for different opportunities for, for researching this particular issue. So just to let our audience know, and, and I think you know some of this already, Sue, that, that they define compulsive sexual behavior as a persistent pattern of failure to control intense, repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior mm-hmm. okay let, let me repeat that it's a persistent pattern of failure to control intense repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior so that's really a um, I mean we're talking about many many brilliant people that came together to validate and describe what that is. And if you notice, it's really not very, it doesn't pathologize it. No, it really talks hard. about the behavior itself, yeah. which I was so pleased to see. Yeah.
1: No, I didn't, I didn't realize how it was defined. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it, it speaks to being stuck, you know, and, and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then being able to help people out of that. Yes. It, it's it's amazing that they're opening that up and people can now say, okay, this is what this is. This is what I have. Yeah. Exactly. That's
0: great. Right. Yeah, it normalizes it. It takes some of the stigma yeah. away.
1: I like that. So let's go back to the late 70s. Mm-hmm. I understand the, uh, the term sex addiction goes back to the late 70s when several of the so-called sex addiction, 12 step fellowships were developed and those are what you had, um, mentioned before as the S, um, the mm-hmm. S meetings, um, you, S you, fellowships, yeah. yeah, that you, uh, listed before. Can, so can you share a little history of, to, to our listeners as to what those, uh, fellowships are all about?
0: So I I wanted to share just a a brief history so we could put this all in context. So you might know that Alcoholics Anonymous is the oldest 12-step fellowship. It was founded in 1935. So it's been around for a long, long time, right? We're talking... Where are 65, 80, 86 years or so, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the granddaddy or the grandmommy of all, all step fellowships. But in the 70s is when the S fellowships emerged. So back in 1976, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous came into being. In 1977, Sex Addicts Anonymous came into being. Okay. In 1979, Sexaholics Anonymous came into being. And lastly, in 1981, Sexual Compulsives Anonymous was founded. Oh, okay. So without going into all of the differences among them, my, my understanding is that at first, they actually didn't know about each other. And the reason they didn't know about each other is because it was very stigmatized and a lot of hush-hush around what it meant to be dealing with this problem and and then these four fellowships have all prospered because there's so much need for support in this area mm-hmm. and 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 yet we're, we're talking only 45 years ago since these fellowships came to to, to be wow. and so i just wanted to mention that because that's really the backdrop of where we are today, that we're still learning and we're still growing and we're still trying to understand how to best address these issues, whether it be in in clinical ways, in therapy, et cetera, Mm -hmm. or whether it be in the 12-step rooms. We're all still learning together. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, do you know, how did the term sex addiction become the primary way of describing this behavior?
0: Well, I don't know the actual first time it was used, but I I do know when it became popularized. Uh, Dr. Patrick Carnes is considered to be the pioneer in this field, and and he wrote his first book, Out of the Shadows, Understanding Sexual Addiction, in 1983. So that was a breakthrough um, bestseller because he wrote about something that was affecting so many people and just wasn't being talked about in wide circles at the time. And, and it, it's actually a really excellent book, which, which sometimes I still recommend to clients today, even though it has more of a sex addiction focus, and that's the words he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what's most important is that as a result of this book, and as a result of, of how much the 12-step fellowships have grown, the term sex addiction became very popular and, and part of the language of, of not only addiction recovery, but popular culture. Now, the only problem with this, going back to what we're sharing today, is that compulsive sexual behavior doesn't fit neatly into the 12-step model of AA. Mm-hmm. And and like I keep saying, because we need to integrate sex and intimacy, um, our relationship with food, our relationship with money, into our lives in healthier ways. It's not like just putting the plug in the jug. It's a it's a whole different story. Yeah,
1: interesting. It's true. Um, They should be all meshed in part of our lives. I never thought about it that way when you just said that. It's like, yeah, don't exclude them. Just include them, but in healthy ways.
0: Just to expand on that, when I first went to, um, at the time, SCA, I heard this idea that one of the the goals of being in the 12-step program was to integrate Sex and intimacy into my life as a healthier element.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: To integrate sex and intimacy into my life as a healthier element. It wasn't about being, um, you know, some kind of a, a monk up on a mountain in, right. in in Tibet. It wasn't about being abstinent for extended periods of time or or for the rest of my life. It was really about integrating these. These um what I consider to reclaim my birthright mm-hmm. in in a way that really works best for me, so that that's
1: and I bet you that's a good feeling to have, yeah, you know when when you know you can set up boundaries and you know and still have it be a part of who you are, but just in a exactly, way. yeah, yeah, cool, so I understand there's a controversy between certified sex addiction therapist called CSATS and sex therapists who are part of ASEC and which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. What is the controversy and why can't everyone just get along, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> we all want people to get along. <laughs> I know, I
0: know. I, and I, I think from the time I was a kid, I wanted everybody to get along. Yeah. Well. The truth is, is that there's a lot of strong opinions Mm -hmm. and a lot of conviction about what's right or wrong. And it's funny, Sue, because as you know, I'm not formally affiliated with either side, Mm -hmm. right? And and instead, I, I, I do believe that both sides have something important to say. And I have colleagues who are trained in both ways, CSAT and sex therapist. So I, I guess in a way that makes me kind of like Switzerland, you know, neutral. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'd like to think of Switzerland as neutral, but solid, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I get to stand clear that I'm not necessarily going to be swayed in one way or the other, but that I believe there may be important points to both, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so here's an example for you. You and I both know Patty Britton. Patty is a um, very seasoned sex coach and sexuality expert. And I I used to teach a module in in her class. She taught human sexuality for many, many years. And um, she asked me to come in and talk about compulsive sexual behavior and assessing compulsive sexual behavior to her students. And I loved the opportunity because she comes from a very particular approach and model of, of what sex is all about, extremely sex positive. And I came in and talked about something that, you know, was a little different language and a little different take on things. So that was a really good example of, of where we kind of blended our – our specialty it's right and and along the same lines i I also highly respect alex katahakis who developed the center for healthy sex here in los angeles and alex has a lot of different um uh, trainings and um parts of her expertise um but she's also a csat and comes from that background so You know, Patty and Alex and I are are all close colleagues. Luckily, we all get along. Mm -hmm. We we don't, um, you know, we may disagree on certain points, but we believe that we each have something to offer. So it's not always about science, but there are really, really strong convictions and different camps out there. OK, so so somebody who holds the term sex addiction with a conviction and someone who doesn't even believe in the term sex addiction and would like to just get the term removed from from our language, um, they're not going to see eye to eye. Right. But again, what I, I feel most important about this episode today is that we're here to to help people and we're here to reduce suffering and i do believe that csats have something to offer i do believe that sex therapists have something to offer and and there's a little bit of bridging a little bit of um collaboration and respect like with patty and with alex and i Um, but but we have a long way to go
1: that's probably for a lot of things.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we'll make some strides. And mm-hmm. hopefully your your listeners are opening to hear on both sides, too. Exactly. Important. Right. Important. Right. So what are some other ways to describe compulsive sexual behavior?
0: Well, thank you for asking that, because <laughs> there's a lot of language being balanced around nowadays. And I, I just want to share a few things with our listeners So some of the words that are being used, my my colleague, Doug Braun Harvey, who was on our podcast a few months ago, has a book called Treating Out of Control Sexual Behavior, which, which is definitely from a sexual health perspective. There's also another therapist named Bill Herring, who has a model called problematic sexual behavior which also depathologizes and, and looks at, at the behavior more descriptively and from a sexual health perspective. Doug Braun Harvey's co-author, Michael Vigarito, is starting a training, I just saw this last week, starting a training called Problem Sexual Behavior, right? So ultimately, you get to choose which language and which healing direction feels most helpful for you. I I personally choose to, to veer away nowadays from the term sex addiction, as well as anything that calls the behavior a disorder, a disease, or an illness.
1: So is there anything else before we end this um, podcast that's um, important to this discussion?
0: You know me, Sue. There's always something else. (laughs) And and once we end our our episode, (laughs) I'll have something else I want to say. (laughs) But um, the most important thing is, is that our listeners get the help that they need. Find a therapist who really understands compulsive sexual behavior and trauma okay i i believe nowadays that it's not one or the other it's really finding a specialist who understands compulsive sex and understands trauma healing ideally it will be someone who who understands 12-step programs although that's not a necessity and and someone who's interested in in helping you heal whatever type of brokenheartedness still persists because well, that's, yeah. yeah because that that's what we're all looking for right Sue yeah. is that that mending of the broken heart
1: oh absolutely well this is fantastic advice as usual and um it, what's amazing to me is that these people exist out there to help people You know, I mean, you just you just read a list of things that people should look for. And it's just you can find that, you know, and maybe 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't be able to. And um, now I I know because I'm much more involved in this community. I understand that there are these people out there to help. So people seek seek out help for themselves if they need it. And like you said before, there's therapists that work different angles and figure out which one works for you. Right. Um, Right. And so be proactive in, in what it is you need.
0: That's for sure. And it's not a one size fits all. It's a matter of finding the folks that you really feel you can be fully yourself with and who truly understand you and can be collaborative in, in the healing process. Well, as always, Sue, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, yeah. And we will pick it up the next time.
1: Sounds great, Andrew. We'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening today. It's always wonderful sharing the time with my colleague and close friend, Sue Merlino, and discussing this really controversial and significant topic that affects those affected by compulsive sexual behavior. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks again for being with us today.